0: Good morning. Hopefully you had a good week. It's good to be together again. We are um, almost done, I think, with this Q&A series. In fact, as you all know, um, we had that question box back there. It got filled up with questions, which was awesome. But as of now, Next week should be the last week in this series, unless you just cram like 50 more in there today. So, today is kind of an interesting day. It's sort of what I tried to do when I was looking through the questions is sort of tried to group them by theme. You know, kind of put some similar subjects together. This week I'm calling the oddball week uh, because these things have nothing to do with one another, but they're. Good questions and things that, that we're going to cover. So there's really no theme. I do want to say, I've, I've tried to say this every week, that really the, what I'm trying to do with the questions is trying to give a biblical take on the question. But while I've liked this series, um, and I've talked to some of you guys about this, what I haven't loved about this series is that it, it, there's definitely more of a dose of my own opinion in these things than there is, you know, just straight biblical truth. And so that is not my favorite way to teach, it's not my my core wheelhouse, um, and, and that's definitely true today. I want to make it really, really clear. There's a couple things that we're going to talk about that, um, that are truly just my opinion, because there's just not a lot of biblical um, uh, evidence for what we're going to talk about. Um, And uh, so take it for what it is. Uh, It's just my take on it. And um, try to focus in particular on these truths that we'll look at this morning, Uh, because we'll look at a lot of scripture, and it has a lot of good things to say. So let me pray for us, and we'll get into what we're talking about. Lord, um, I just pray that you guide uh, this morning. Um, You know uh, that, um, I don't know that there's Completely clear and precise uh, answers to be given to all of these questions this morning, um, and so I just want you to lead, to lead uh, us. Uh, in our hearts as we're looking at these, um, these truths, that you would um, help us to, uh, to think clearly for ourselves on these issues, um, and that more than anything, the truths that we're going to look at this morning, that those would be deeply embedded in our hearts, and, and just what you need to do in changing our thinking and shaping our thinking that you would do, um, and you'd help me uh, get out of the way. pray this all in your name. Amen. So we're going to start with this question. Hey, Jan, would you run that mouse down so that uh, big uh, arrow won't stick there the whole time? Thank you. Uh, All right. First question is this. Do you have an explanation for why we lose God? I had and felt him when I was a child, but he's faded. I can feel him, but it's stressful. Uh, anybody have a se- ever had a sense of this, you know, like maybe a distance from God or feeling like he's just maybe not in your circumstance that you're in right now, um, and maybe you feel like this, this, you've had this loss of God. Uh, maybe you could describe it that way, or maybe you go, I, I don't know that I put those words on it, but I know that I've, I, I, I can relate to kind of the sense of this question, um, and let me just start by saying this, and we'll look at, at some passages that talk about this. Truly losing God is not possible. It's just not a possible thing. Feeling like we've lost him or are distant from him is very possible and is, I would say, maybe even likely in, at some point in your life or at many times in your life. But here's, here's the thing about feelings. Uh, feelings can be very, very strange things. Sometimes feelings can be... Uh, in line with what is real in life and can be extremely helpful in those moments, um, especially when you're, uh, you know, we're made to be emotional beings. God created us this way. Uh, and and meeting others where, where they're at emotionally can be a really, really good thing. Um, but also, sometimes our feelings can deceive us. Our feelings can, can fool us. Our feelings can tell us something that's not true in reality. Um, I don't know about you, but there are days that I wake up that Nothing has even happened in the day, but I wake up and I feel like this is the worst day ever. <laughs> and like nothing's even gone on yet, you know, but, you know, feelings are a weird thing. Or I'll wake up and nothing's even, ha- even happened yet, and suddenly I'm like, ooh, the birds are chirping, and I'm like, this is the best day ever, right? Uh, feelings are kind of like that. I know... Um, you know, we can, we can think, you know, that person across the room that gave you a dirty look, um, and you're like, oh, that person hates me, and you find out that they were looking at the person behind you, right? Your feelings aren't telling you something that's true, right? Um, or you can feel extremely alone when you're with hundreds of people. Well, that's not accurate, right? You're not alone. You might be feeling alone, right? Uh, You can feel alone when you have people who love you and are right there loving on you. You can feel alone. And that's not true. You're not alone. They're with you, right? Um, When uh, I'm sure we all had when we were young, we had that person who was the only person for you, right, in this world. And then you broke up with that person and you found the other person who was the only person for you in this world, And then you broke up with them, and you finally landed, hopefully, on the person who is the person for you in this world, right? Feelings are not always accurate to reality. And so uh, I think, for me, Jeremiah 17 is super helpful with this. Uh, I think about this verse often. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, understand, the heart in the Jewish mind was, was more than just the feelings, but, but it definitely included feelings, how we feel about things, our perception of the world, our perception of what's going on at the current moment. Our perceptions can be wrong. Our perceptions can be right. But, but I, I think of it like, like this. If you had a, a, a friend who told you the truth, say, like 80% of the time, But then 20% of the time, they just flat out lie to you. When they're telling you something, would you believe them? I mean, 80% of the time, they're telling you the truth. You might, but I think you would look at it kind of skeptically, right? You would look at that person and go, they might be telling me something that's true, but they also might be flat out lying to me because they do that. I think we need to do that with our emotions, our feelings. We need to recognize that our feelings might be fooling us, might be deceiving us, because they regularly do that. Our feelings don't always line up with reality. And so um, I don't think our feelings are the best source to determine ultimate truth, are the best source to determine what is real and what is not real. I mean, I think we've all experienced this with, like, a sin that looks particularly satisfying, right? We feel like that's going to pay off. And then we engage in that sin, and does it pay off? No. For a moment, right? But not in the way that we want it to. Um, And so we need to at least recognize that our feelings might be lying to us at times. Um, And that's why, actually... A couple verses before this, God tells us this, blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh, whose trust is Yahweh, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and does not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will be, it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things. You see that? He's saying hold in, in life. There is something we can hold on to, and that is our Lord and his truth and what he says about us, what he says about the world, what he says about what's going on. We can hold to that, and that will be a source of life to us in the up, ups and downs of this world, in the ups and downs of our emotions, of how we're feeling in any given moment. There are things we can hold on to that are more dependable than how we feel. Now, there are, you know, a lot of times feelings do have causes. You know, I explain like getting up in the morning and feeling a certain way and you know, there's no cause yet, right? But feelings do many times have a cause. You know, when someone's mad at you, that doesn't feel very good and you know the source of it, they're mad at you, right? Like that's not great. Um, So there are sources, and there are many sources, but I'm just going to throw out a couple of possibilities here to to think through in the Christian life. 1 John 1, uh, 6 and 7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Sin definitely can be, especially persistent sin, can definitely be one of those areas that will hurt our fellowship with God. And that is not because God is farther from us, but it's because we are pushing him away. We are keeping him at arm's length. I don't want your thoughts on my life. I want to do my own thing, at least in this area of my life. I'll take your thoughts on Sunday morning, sure, no problem. But this area of my life, I kind of like it. And I know you have different thoughts than I do about it, but I'm going to hold on to this. That's us pushing him away, right? Keeping him at arm's length. That affects our fellowship. And again, it's not because he's gone away. He's always there. He is, he is, he is never closer to you than he is right now. Um, but we are pushing him away. Um, and, and if you think about this, th- this reality that's described here is a re- relational reality that we can all recognize, right? Um, when you're hiding something from your best friend, is that affect your relationship with your best friend? When you're hiding something from your spouse, does that hurt your relationship with your spouse? They don't even know you're hiding it, but, but it affects it. It makes a difference. Um, we got to deal with sin. We got to allow the Lord to breathe into every part of our lives. That doesn't mean we won't stumble. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about keeping that pocket of your life or many pockets of your life away from him. We got to open those up to Him and allow Him to speak into those areas of our lives. So if you're feeling far from Him, it might be because you're closed off to Him, right? You're closing off areas of your life. You're affecting your fellowship with Him. I love uh, 2 Timothy 11 through 13 on many levels, uh, but it's, it's just great. Um, in fact, it, it says it's great right from the beginning. Verse 11 says, This statement is trustworthy. This is something you can trust. This is something you can take to the bank. Um, Some believe that what follows um, is an ancient creed, is a first century creed. I don't know if it is or not, you know, something that the church repeated over and over again. It might be, it kind of reads sort of that way. Um, Whether it's a creed or not, it's cool. It's worth us knowing. Uh, The first part of it is this, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. That is truth. Um, If we truly have entrusted our lives to Christ, we will live with him. He will live in and through us. This is a life-giving relationship. And nothing on earth, including our behavior or thinking, can change that. That is a fixed reality. No matter how you're feeling, that is a fixed reality. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We will endure hardship in our lives. Some of you in this room right now are enduring some pretty rough hardship, like maybe some of the hardest times you've had in your life, right? Uh, that's a reality. For certain, hardships will come, but we know we will reign with Him. It's not the end of the story. Things certainly will be better. Now, in this moment, might they feel like they're never going to get better. They might feel that way, but that doesn't line up with reality. Your feelings are lying to you in that moment, and we need to hold to the truth and and kind of ignore or push away that feeling as deception. Now, if we deny him, he will also deny us, I think it sounds a little harsh, but it is truth, and it is something we need to recognize. If we deny him, if we reject his offer of redemption and reconciliation and lordship in our life, make no mistake, he will reject us. He will. I I know we don't like that idea, but our God is no mamby-pamby pushover. That is not who our God is. He is a righteous, just judge, and we all deserve that justice to be met out on us and it's only by his grace that we don't have that make no mistake if we deny him he will deny us but in contrast to that look at 13 if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself If we are unfaithful to our commitments to God, it does not change our relationship with God. He will always remain faithful to his commitments to us because to do otherwise would be for him to deny himself, to not be who he is, and he will never not be who he is. That will never happen. And so when we're feeling far from God, when we're feeling like uh, we've lost him, maybe it's simply that we need to believe the truths about who our god is or maybe like we talked about last week maybe we have never really had a relationship with him maybe we were the enlightened of hebrews right who got to experience a little bit of what the Spirit is like. We saw it in other people. We got to be around it. We felt loved and secured in that community, in that relationship. But it was never really ours. He never really had our life. Well, again, you didn't lose God. You never had God, right? See last week if you have questions about that. We talked about that. So, bottom line to this question, I'd sum it up this way. Trust in what is true about your relationship with God. And deny any misleading feelings that you'll have, and you'll have them. Deny those. Deny misleading feelings that are contrary to the truth and hold to the truth. And maybe address that unaddressed sin in your life. Whatever that is. Because that definitely will affect your, your fellowship. All right. On a completely different note, question number two. If we were made in God's image and he set the world to be how it is, then why can we not look at his godly presence? There's a lot, I think, that needs to be made clear about this question. Um, so I'm going to start with the image of God. Okay. So, uh, Genesis 127 is super clear here. It says so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them, right? God created us male and female, and we were created to image God in his image, We should not take this as being in God's image means we are gods, that we become gods, that we are not, this does not mean that we are identical to God. We are an image of God, right? We are a reflection of who God is. Um, That's me. Is it? It's actually not me. It's a picture of me, right? It's an image of me, it's a reflection of me. And it's bad, I gotta move on. Um, but <laughs> you get the idea, right? Like, like, that is not me, although it represents me, right? And when you look at it, you think of me, right? That's, that's imaging, right? Uh, it's like a reflection, okay? Can you guys see, what, see his reflection in there? Um, uh, it's like a reflection in, in a pond, right? You ever looked at your own reflection in a pond? Um, because of the way that the waves uh, or the water kind of ripples, you know, it's not um, it's not truly clearly you, but it does represent you, right? Um, and the truth of the matter is, since the fall, since sin has entered our world, and sin is pervasive in our wor- our world, uh, that has shaken up that water, right? And so we are an image of him, but it's really hard to see him right? Because that water is just turbulent, right? Um, But here's the great news for us as believers. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the fall messed it all up, where, where the image of God was really, really, really difficult to see. But the reality is, g- God has done such a work, Jesus' work on the cross has done such a work in our lives, that is an ongoing work, that that water is becoming calmer and calmer for us. That actually people, our, our destiny is to be a, a, a great representation of Christ, right? An accurate representation of Christ. And we're on that journey. We're being conformed into his image. This is the the new life that we have in Christ to actually show who he is, for that reflection to become clearer and clearer and clearer. As we're conformed to his character, so we can love like he loves, serves like he served, live dependent upon God like he lived dependent on God every day of his life, on the Father. 2 Corinthians uh, three seventeen and 18 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have a lot of freedom, a lot of things we can do. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This is the path that we're all on. I don't know about you, but it it excites me that I am being conformed into his image, that every day the, the image is clearing up more and more and more so that people can actually see the one I want them to see, which is Christ. And that God's actually using me to image him. He's using me as a reflection of him. I don't deserve that, but it's great that I'm a part of it. We're being transformed. Colossians uh, chapter 3, which I think we're going to get into Colossians after the New Year. Um, Excited about that. Um, The first part of Colossians 3 is this big laundry list of of ways to be. Things to do, things not to do, how to to operate as as a Christian. And he ends with this, do not lie to one another. But look at the reason why he says... Don't do all this stuff and do all this other stuff and don't lie to one another since you have stripped off the old self with, with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. You guys see this? This is all over the New Testament, by the way. This idea of this new life in Christ. Um, it's amazing. I've had so many conversations over the years with, with people that don't— that that only viewed Jesus' salvation work in our lives as this, like, golden ticket to heaven. It's like, oh, yeah, I was messed up, and now I'm forgiven. Now I'm just a forgiven sinner, and so nothing really about my life is changing. I mean, I I, I probably need to do the right kinds of things, but nothing really about me has changed. It's just that Jesus' blood has covered me. That is not the New Testament message at all. The New Testament message is you at your very core have been fundamentally changed. That Jesus' work on the cross made you different. You stripped off the old you, and now you're this new person in Christ. That wasn't you. Jesus did it. It's, It's all by faith. But you're this new person. And so why shouldn't you walk in sin? Because that's not who you are anymore. It's not just because it's naughty. Shame on you for doing that. And that the people at church are going to maybe give you a, the stink eye or something, right? Like, that's not the reason for it. The reason for it is that's not who you are anymore. Why would you behave like someone you're not? That doesn't make sense. We are those who, who are being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of who? The one who created us. That excites me. I don't know if that excites you, but I'm like, this is cool. Like, I get to be a part of this, imaging. He has transformed me. Understand all of these forms of image. Did you see what was being described in in all of these images? It was the character of God, the character of who he is. Don't act that way because that's not who he is. And as an image bearer of him, that's not who you are. That's not how you reflect him well. Being made in the image of God, being conformed now back into the image of God, to be showing this off in our new self has nothing to do with being like God in his fullness. It's being like God in his behavior, in who he is, his character, and and what he does, how he responds. We should never assume that we have the same abilities as God or the same nature as God. That is not, we, we reflect him. We aren't him. So having that all kind of as a foundation, I think the idea behind this question comes from this situation um, in, uh, in Moses' day. So this is uh, Moses speaking with God, with Yahweh, And, and, and Yahweh says this, he says, he further said, you cannot see my face, for mankind shall not see me and live. So God's saying, you can't see my face, Moses. Um, uh, Moses really wants to, um, wants to see something about God. We'll talk about that here in a second. And. And he's like, I can't show you my face. So people read this and they go, okay, so, um, so I can't see God. Like, like, like humans can't see God. And we'll look at another verse that actually re- reflects that idea. Well, we got to look at the context to kind of have a better picture of what this is talking about. You just go back a few verses um, t- to verse 7 in chapter 33. And it says this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought Yahweh would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered The tent, the pillar of cloud, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and Yahweh would speak to Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would stand and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. So Yahweh used to speak to Moses, how? Face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. This is literally, what, eight verses before the verse we just looked at? Is there a contradiction here? I don't, I don't think there is, because we've got to look at what is being talked about here. Now, it's possible that face-to-face is figurative. It's just saying, like, you know, people usually meet face-to-face, friends meet face-to-face, and so they were meeting as friends or as close acquaintances, or they, it was, it very well could be that way. I think it's more likely that, that God represented himself in a form that had a face, um, and that he actually spent time with Moses in, in a way that Moses could relate to God as he relates to other people. Um, and they would sit and shoot the breeze for uh, a long time, right? And this would happen on a regular basis. But what's weird about this is we go, okay, face-to-face, but we know, um, I don't think I have these up here. No, I don't. Uh, John 4.24 says God is spirit. 1 Timothy 1.17 says God is invisible. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.16 says he dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen and can see. So how do we reconcile this? How do we understand this? How do we understand what, what Yahweh is even saying to Moses in the following verses about not being able to see him? Well, I think we have to look, again, at context. Context is important. Uh, we're going to uh, continue with the hermeneutics class here in a few weeks. If you want to jump in, this, these are all her- hermeneutical things that are important to understanding Scripture. Um, Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't skip that one. Sorry, my bad. Um, John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son whom the, who in the arms of the Father has explained him. No one's seen God, right? Look at what Moses is asking for in 18. It says, Then Moses says, Please show me your glory. This is really, really, really important. Because glory is the fullness of who God is. Every aspect of who God is. And so, what Moses is asking for here, Moses had spent plenty of time face to face with God, having conversations, talking. He knew God pretty well. But he's like, I want more. I want to know your glory. I want to know every aspect of your person and being. And look how Yahweh responds. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. Which, by the way, is a little quote from something he had told Moses previously. Yahweh responds with, I'm not going to show you my full glory. He's going to say that here in a second. But I will show you part of who I am. I will show you my goodness. And I will show you my name, which name means character. I'll show you my character. I'll show you the nature of of what I am in my character. I'll do that for you. And that's why in 20 he says, uh, you cannot see my face for mankind shall not see me and live. We don't know why, but something about the fullness of who God is Humans cannot comprehend, which I think we kind of get, right? There are plenty of things about God that I do not get. And I just think I'm too dimwitted for it. Humans cannot see the fullness of God. But. John 1:18 becomes important here, because he says, "No one has seen God at any time, um, any time. God, the only Son who is in the arms of the Father, has explained him. Everything you need to know about God, everything probably we could comprehend about who God is. Jesus' life explained it to us. So if we want to know, we can't know God's fullness, we can't. It's true. But if we but if we want to know what we can know about God, spend time letting Jesus explain himself to us because Jesus revealed the fullness that could be seen of our God. So if you want to see God, spend some time in the Gospels. It's the place to see him. I don't know did that beat around the the, the bush of the question I, it might have but it's the best I got. All right, last question. Here we go. (laughs) Why the Holocaust? Why has suffering and hardship and non-acceptance always followed the Jews? You might find my initial response to be a little non-answering the question. I think it's answering the question. Why not the Holocaust? I've had people go, I, I just can't believe in a God who would allow something like the Holocaust to occur. I don't, I don't even understand that. Why can't you believe that? Why, the, 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 the bigger question is, why isn't every moment of every day for each one of us a Holocaust? That's the question, right? That's the, I think that's the better question. Why hasn't there been more holocaust? Why aren't we describing every day as a personal holocaust? I, I think we expect that we are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think we expect that. And I would actually use the word entitled because, um, you know, anybody who's had, had kids, you've experienced ent- their attitudes of entitlement, right? It always used to, uh, that, was, that, that was the thing that always got me. It was like, we give you good gifts, and the next day you expect those good gifts back because you're entitled to them. What? <laughs> like, what is that mean? You're not entitled to them. We will give them to you because we love you. But, but you're not entitled to them hate entitlement. I hate entitlement in my own life. I hate it when I look at God and go, God, why aren't you doing the things that, you, that I expect you to do? What is that? Humans were never promised that we would not experience things like Holocaust. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.14. I know, we're back in Ecclesiastes. It's just one verse, though. Uh, <laughs> On the day of prosperity, be happy, but on the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that a person will not discover anything that will come after him. We should, we we somehow expect prosperity is the default setting. Why do we do that? That's, it's just not, it's just not reality we think prosperity is the default setting, and um, adversity is like the anomaly, is, is the outlier, is the thing that shouldn't be going on. I think if you look at how we've destroyed the world with our sin, I think the flip of that should really be the reality. We should expect adversity. That should be the predominant thing in our lives. And I think actually, this is Nate's little opinion here, I, I, think, it, I think we are numb to our own adversity, I think if we really looked at how difficult our lives really are, it might crush us. <laughs> but we get numb to things. We get numb to the fact that I have a little bit of a headache right now, and I just go, that's every day for me. I always have headaches, right? Like, you know? But I, but, but I don't think about it until I just said it. You know, I, I don't think about it, I'm thinking about it a lot. But, you know, you, you, just, you just kind of pass over it because life is painful, We should, we should definitely expect, I don't know, maybe an equal amount of adversity and prosperity. Should not surprise us. Romans uh, 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind, because all sinned. Spread is a pathological word. It's, it's, it's a disease. Sin is a disease that has infected, is spread, and infected every corner of every human heart. We are broken, and we break things all the time. This is a broken world, and we should never, ever, ever, those who know the truth of Scripture, and right from the beginning, it's very, very clear to us in Genesis, we should never, ever, ever put any of that brokenness at the feet of our God. We broke the world. The good friend who lost a, a, a child, like four months old, breaks my heart. I love them dearly. I contributed to that, and so did you. We broke this place. Our sin is the problem. And so to expect anything different than what our sin causes, which is death and destruction, I just don't know that we should expect any different than that. In fact, I think we should look at the Holocaust and go, that looks like humans. This is how we operate. This is pretty normal. 1 Peter uh, 4, 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. See what he's saying here? When, when, when pain and suffering and tragedy strikes our life, the normal response to that is should be grief. And should be sadness. But probably shouldn't be shock. Probably shouldn't be surprise. We shouldn't be like, oh my gosh. Why did that happen? We know why it happens. Because we live in a world where pain and suffering and tragedy exist on a frequent basis. And it's only the fact that we can't take it all in. I know I can't. And so we limit our eyes and we put our blinders on and try to only look at certain aspects of things that we don't realize that our world is just a mess. I think the only people who truly should be shocked at this kind of pain and suffering and tragedy is Christians who believe that we're somehow immune or protected from this stuff. God's never made those promises to us. And in fact, that suffering, I don't, I, don't, I don't love how this is taken sometimes because it does say that it's, that it's for our testing. So a lot of times I've heard this opinion of like, is God just doing this as a test for me? Like is he, is he, is he putting a test in front of me and seeing if I'll pass or fail? That's not at all what's being talked here, about here. This testing is testing the, the quality of something, the nature of something, the true nature of it. I, I looked up an example of this, did you know that you can test, you ladies that have diamonds on your, on your rings, you can test whether that diamond is real or not by just getting a cup of water and dropping the diamond in. If it drops to the bottom, it's a diamond, if it floats, you got to talk to your husband about that. I was like, that's kind of cool, right? That's the kind of test that's being talked about here. It's, it's either a diamond or it's not, right? It's trying to reveal the nature of what the thing is. And I don't know about you, but I can only think when, when, when who I am has really been revealed and, like, been stuck in my face, it's only been when things have been really bad. I can't remember a great time where I took a good look at myself. It was when things were really tough that it really showed me where I was with God where I was in my relationship to him, where I needed to allow him to to come and live because I was compartmentalizing or not trusting him. I remember, I've used this example before, but I remember when Clark got that scar that he has on his face, you know, and it it was this lamp that Ellie pulled over and not intentionally and, and, uh, you know, cut him open really bad. It was really bad. I'm carrying my two-year-old son why blood is just gushing out of his chin and all I could think about was the fact that it was cut here and it was like two inches from here right here no (laughs) Clarky. right here he's got a scar right you know what that revealed to me I would tell anybody who asked the right answer I trust God with my kids you know what that showed me? I didn't trust God with my kids. I was so ticked. I was so mad at God. I was like, how could you let this happen? God was like, hello. I thought they were mine. And I was like, oh, man. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. John sixteen thirty three says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Peace sounds good, and peace is good. In the world, you have tribulation. That's a definitive verb. You have it. But take courage. I have overcome the world. You have tribulation. We have tribulation. Do not expect anything different. We should not expect anything different. We will have pain and suffering while we're on this side of heaven. We will. But when we do... (laughs) Stop looking down and start looking up, right? We know, the, we know that the, the story's written. It's done. The end of the story is already written. And I know in, a, in like a novel, it's bad to go to the end, the end of the book and be like, oh, what happens, right? You want to you know what's going on before it, the payoff at the end. But we know the payoff. He's already overcome the world. And that means we win too. He won, we win. Okay, have I avoided the core of the question enough? <laughs> Which is why has hardship and non acceptance followed the Jews? Um, I love Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody like Fiddler on the Roof? Uh, I, love, I love this. This is Tevia. Send me news like that today of old days. I know, I know, we are the chosen people. But once in a while, can't you choose someone else? <laughs> I love it. I love it because it really represents kind of this this angst that uh, that most Jewish people have had for a long time, right? This sense that sometimes, some, somehow they're always the target of stuff, rough stuff. Um, this is the part where I, I'm going into my opinion here, but I think it's based on, on some fact, okay? Anti-Semitism is a real problem. And if you look at history, anti-Semitism has been a real problem problem. And that has shown up in, a, in extreme forms of persecution of the Jewish people. Um, and, and it's real. It's very, very real. And people who try to deny that kind of stuff, is, it's just ridiculous. History has reveals it. It's fact. Um, but I want to balance that by saying the statistics don't bear the perception of this question out. So that, that has been extremely real in the world. Don't not hear that part. The Holocaust was a Holocaust. It's described as a Holocaust for a reason. It is exceptionally terrible. Um, but the truth is, part of the reason why the Jewish people can look back at their history and go, look at all the times we've been persecuted, is because the history of the Jewish people is long. Most, most peoples in the world, they rise and they fall. Uh, they, they, you know, <laughs> the Roman Empire thought they were going to last forever. They didn't last forever. There's, there's no Roman Empire anymore, right? Uh, there's, uh, the people groups have come within, usually within a couple hundred years, they rise to prominence and fall. And, and there's smaller um, segments of people who, do, it doesn't, doesn't even take that long. They group together, they, they, they become an identifiable people group, and then they get, they get kind of uh, conquered and taken in as a part of another people group. And it's just the reality of history. Um, but if you just track the numbers, the perception that the Jewish people are the most persecuted group or have an exceptional level of persecution just isn't borne out in the numbers. Um, In fact, not to make a a direct comparison, but to prove the point, um, by far the most persecuted people group have been Christians, by far. I mean, by way huge numbers. In fact, in the 20th century, 80% of all religious persecution was perpetrated upon Christians, right? the uh, now, man, these numbers are just beyond, right? The Holocaust: six million Jewish people wiped off the face of the planet. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, there's that that saying, like, <laughs> one child's death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic, or something like that, right? Like, like because we cannot wrap our heads around six million precious individual lives who all had families, people who loved them, people they loved, they all had experiences, they all had wisdom to share. They, they, they were unique individuals on the face of the planet, six million of them. Like My brain can't even do that, can't, can't, can't even figure that out, right? Just snuffed out. truly a holocaust Uh, but in that same holocaust five million other undesirables were snuffed out too people who were handicapped people who were black um, people who the third reich just decided were not valuable right we we need to purify our society so we're getting rid of all these people five million like ah man um but in con- in comparison in the 20 se- 20th century 26 million we have 26 million documented cases of christians being killed because they were christians for the simple reason that they were not they were of that group 26 million and it's actually likely more it's more likely that's closer to 45 million those, those are just those cases that are not as verifiable right not as documented It's a crazy amount of people, right? But my point is not to make some sort of a comparison and to to say we shouldn't be that that we shouldn't we shouldn't care about the fact that, that there's this loss of life. We should definitely care about the fact that there's this loss of life. But I think we need to weave it into the grander story of humanity, which is there's always been this loss of life. There's always been killing people killing other, other people, and sometimes in, in massive numbers, coming from hate for one another. And because we, made, we drew some line on the map and said, we don't like the people who are on that side of the map, and, and we like the people that are on this side of the map. We've been doing this forever. We, we lost 91 million people in World War II, Right? Just because some people thought, I don't like the borders of my country, I want bigger borders. And other people were like, you can't have our borders, and so we killed each other. This is us. And so for me, I know I'm bel- belating all this, but for me, I think we just need to settle into the fact that this is, this is the truth. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I come so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Humans, we are suffering and death and destruction perpetrators. That's what we are. Every time we see tragedy, we should go, that's me. When we, when we see the, uh, the shooting in Uvalde, like, that's us. That's not them. That's not some sick, crazed guy. That's us, people. We're, we're broken. This is humanity. The outlier in this is life. The outlier in this is abundance. The outlier in this is the thing that brings actually true life to humanity and only one thing brings true life to humanity and that's Jesus Christ. And the greatest news ever is that this same work of this same Jesus is gonna mean this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I can't even relate to this, right? Where there is, there is no, it's not just that he's going to wipe the tears away because they're just flowing. There's no need, the tears are gone because there's no cause for tears anymore. He did that. No death. No pain. Excited about that. Let me pray for us. Lord, I don't know if I answered these questions or uh, avoided them, but I do know that your truth is so good. It's so good to know. For, For just to have an accurate view of what's really going on with us, with our feelings, uh, with the world around us, with the death and destruction, that we can know the truth of the matter, even if it's ugly and something we don't want to, to look at. And we can also know the, the contrast, which is that you are Lord. That you sacrificed yourself for us, that you demonstrated us the, the, the character of God, and that you, you're conforming us to that character so that we can be proper reflections of who you are. That was lost so long ago. Lord, help us walk in these truths. Help it to give us help it to, to help to give us understanding um, when hurt and pain and tragedy comes into our world. And to just be utterly convinced that the only solution to any issue in our life is you. The only source of real life, real goodness is you. And even though you haven't chosen yet to take us out of this place, we know that we can have peace in you, we can have hope in you, no matter what's going on. May we just place all of our trust in you for this in your name